Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast, episode 61. We are back from the Hajj. We are back from PAX East 2016, and we have a lot to talk about. So I think it's probably prudent that we just jump right into it and just uh, go over uh, the the biggest talking points, I guess, from the weekend. So as we laid out in our uh, PAX uh, preparation episode, uh, there were a bunch of panels that we wanted to go to, a bunch of games we wanted to talk about. Uh, obviously, once we once you get there. Uh, your itinerary kind of shifts itself a little bit because there's always things there that you don't expect to be there. And we tried to do as much as we could in the three days, which is impossible, but I think we did quite a bit. And uh, there's there's definitely a lot to talk about and a lot going on in the industry. So um, you, The funny part, you said itinerary kind of shifts. Mine <laughs> shifted greatly. Yeah, shif- shifted greatly. So... Uh, but we definitely took care of some of the stuff we wanted, some of the things we wanted to take care of, and definitely saw some of the things we we were expecting. But there's always surprises. So uh, let's. I want to start it off with uh, the first panel that I went to, which was on Friday. Now we've been talking in the past couple of episodes uh, from bringing up to having full fledged discussions on the uh, the MMO and the future of and uh, where it's going and all that other good stuff. So. Uh, fortunately for me, that was, uh, that was a panel that happened first thing Friday and I went to it and I'm kind of gonna sort of like cap our ongoing discussion here because I heard from a bunch of really cool developers, guys from, you know, really old school days back, back in like, uh, the Ultima and EverQuest days and we know what their whole take, take is on the, you know, the past 20 years of MMOs and where it's going and, um, so we're going to, I, I want to bring up some of the things that they said and some of the things I thought were interesting that they said and kind of, uh, kind of put a, a, a nice little, nice little end note on our, um, ongoing MMO discussion. But th- this one was pretty interesting. Um, so a lot of the things that we kind of postulated, they kind of confirmed for, for us, right? So they went out and they said, listen, we, we were working on these old games uh, you know, WoW comes along, the WoW model comes along, and then everybody tries to chase this model, right? right. You got uh, the Old Republic, and you got Guild Wars, and you got um, uh, you had uh, Final Fantasy eleven and then fourteen, and they're all kind of following this same model for you know the better part of a decade, really. And the, but the the whole point of the conversation was what is happening now? Now that WoW is on a downturn in these types of subscription-based, massive open-world, huge-budget games are, are on a downturn. Where, where, where are these people going? What are they doing? A lot, Interestingly enough, a lot of these guys are going back to what they were doing before, which is still making MMOs, but uh, on a very different sort of wavelength. Um, what I thought was really interesting was what, what do they need to focus on going forward? What do you have to focus on in 2016 in order to get people interested rather than what you had to focus on in 2004 to get people interested, right? Vastly, vastly different. Absolutely. So one of the biggest things I thought was interesting was uh, matchmaking is now um, uh, you know, far more robust than it was in, tw- in 2004, obviously. But uh, specifically, they're um, looking at other ways to get people together based on much more specific parameters back in the, you know, back, back in the day you had to, um, you know, your guild had a schedule, right? right? And you had to be there and, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, very cold political stories, uh, you know, I've heard about people not being there at the time they were supposed to be there and all this other stuff. So, um, this is the biggest, this is like kind of like the big question that they're, that they're using going forward in, in terms of being, uh, more embracing from like a smaller budget MMO sort of perspective. And, uh, one of the guys was going as far as to saying that they were going to set up the parameters for matchmaking that almost mirror a dating website, meaning that they look at, they were trying to get people matched up for raids based on, not only what they needed in terms of the end game, but similar interests and w- usual play times 
and, you know, amount of like other responsibility that might cut their time short and stuff like that. Right. That which is extremely fascinating, which I thought that was, that was my biggest takeaway really was because like, listen, these, these guys, these guys have been around for 20 years, some of them. Right. right. Um, they've seen this, they've seen this crazy, you know, tempest of, of matchmaking and they're seeing the same, they're seeing problems that, you know, while, while you can get matched up with literally anybody else who's playing the game at any given time, this is a, you know, an amazing breakthrough, but you're getting matched up with people who are maybe a little bit more enthusiastic about the game than you are. You're right. getting matched up with people who are maybe far less enthusiastic about the game than you are. Um, generally, you're getting matched up with people for like a very uh, non-egalitarian purpose. And what they're trying to do is make this purpose more egalitarian on a person-to-person level so that you get the most out of your experience playing the game. Right. Um, Which is great for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna get into that game and you're gonna rush to end game and you're just gonna you're just gonna try and max out your gear as much as possible and get ready for the next thing and try and be like try and do world firsts. You don't want to get stuck with somebody with with two kids. Right. You right, don't. Right. You you don't. Right. So this is this is a uh, this is a thing that they're actually going for and they they specifically said like online dating was like one of the things that they tried to mirror in terms of this because it, it, it is. When you're in a guild with somebody, it is kind of like a tiny relationship that you have with this person, right? More than tiny. Yeah. So, you know, so, so basically, they're they're kind of just like announcing the fall of the the Soviet Union, pretty much. They're they're saying, <laughs> you know, they're saying this this arms race has sort of come to an end. The WoW model isn't dead, but uh, it's no longer a. Uh, they're they're no longer chasing. Wow! Anymore, it, they they are they have returned to the roots. They've seen uh, enough successful kickstarters and and Indiegogos in order to say people want these smaller MMOs. People want these more intimate MMOs. Um, to to you know leave their leave their big studios and take this you know this huge personal career risk and go. Um, and go back to the basics, pretty much. And uh, it seems like there's a lot of really cool things on on the on the horizon. Um, so uh, there was one called Pantheon: Rise of the Fallen that was from EverQuest developers. Uh, Shroud of the Avatar from the Ultimate developers. Uh, I'll, I'll link whatever pages exist for these games in the show notes. But uh, these are these are big names that have been around in the industry for a long time, and they're coming out with uh, you know what what. Games that got that are similar to those that got them into the genre in the first place, but far more robust in terms of uh, you know everything else. Basically, twenty sixteenifying Ultima and EverQuest, uh, which I thought was fascinating. So that's that's gonna be it for MMOs. We won't bother you about MMOs for a while unless something <laughs> unless something important comes up. But uh, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that was like the panel I thought I got the most out of just because it was relevant to what we were, we, what we have been talking about. You know, it's funny because hearing that basically reconfirms one of the other things we've always kind of stressed is even though we haven't said it exactly like this, which is one of the, the hallmarks of really all media in the 21st century is that we are witnessing the now very rapid death of what we can call as mass culture. And we have entered the era of, you know, um, I don't don't know if you could call it microculture, but heavily, heavily targeted culture, right? Right, yeah. And what I think is, you're, you're making me realize in this discussion of MMOs, is how much that affects everything, even video games, right? Uh huh. So... Remember how we were talking just a couple weeks ago about how back in the day, and by the day, I mean even like 12 years ago, yep. you know, if you encountered somebody who referred to themselves, who, who self-identified with the culture of gaming enough to call themselves a gamer, mm-hmm. uh, you could reasonably expect that there was a shared uh, library 
there will be uh, a you would share with that person before you even open your mouth to have a substantive conversation. You could reasonably expect that you would know many of the titles that were top of mind for them, many of the things that they made priority to play, many of the things they're looking forward to playing, etc., etc. Uh, in 2016, that same encounter, now you really, there's no way you could know. Right. Because the breadth and diversity of games across every genre is so crazy. And what you're describing is that that feature, that um that reality coming to bear specifically on the world of massively multiplayer online games. You know, WoW was kind of that last bastion, I guess, of uh, well, maybe not last because we still have, like the Call of Duties and whatever running around, but one of the one of the big last bastions of mass culture dominating a genre, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the king has has left the throne. So, as you said, the WoW model is not dead, but it's now going to take a place as a part of the puzzle, a piece in the collage. Right. There's, there's going to be multiple, multiple different styles of MMOs, none of which are necessarily going to be seen as better. Basically, we've reached gaming pluralism. Right? Fin- so finally. It, it's <laughs> going to be... That I find super interesting. Yeah. And... What has become clear is that through this kind of pluralistic marketplace that we have now, I think that's why game design is getting so much more interesting so rapidly. Because oh, oh, everybody yeah. has room to put out crazy ideas. And then that, you know, in our shamelessly, <laughs> our shameless copying culture, uh, best practice gets adopted pretty quickly. Yeah, and we'll get to crazy ideas once we go over some of the stuff we experienced on the show floor. But, um, but yeah, what did uh, what did what did you want to bring up first? What was your what was your like uh, what did you what is what was your like spearheading? Well, like, the spearheading ex- panel. Ex- ex- yeah, uh, your spearheading panel. Yeah, the spearheading panel is the one that I'm actually going to save for next time because. Uh, I think we need to have an entire discussion just on this topic. Absolutely. Which was uh, how we find positivity through gaming. Right. Uh, just as a preview, I'll, I'll leave it to say that I thought this was such an interesting discussion to attend. Yeah. Because I like the idea that we are taking time to reflect on... The why. Right. right. I mean, we did our episode, why do we play games, right? But kind of reflecting in that collective space why we do this and why it's, even more importantly, why it's important that we do this. And through hearing various people, not just the folks that were on the panel, but various people coming up to give their experiences, uh, there was a lot of really cool takes on the why answer to that question yeah and i think about and i think about this a lot because it's it's um you know the consumption of literally anything right is is uh you know purportedly to bring the consumer some type of joy right whether it's media or food or experience or whatever right and uh i don't think that we ever really take the time to think about to, to think about it, right? right? Like why, you know, why you like the things you like, pretty much. And, you know, obviously video games are things we like, you and I. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, and, we, and we've taken the time. But it's uh, it's refreshing to see other people take the time. And, and you know, outside of the realm of video games uh, or, or, even, or even like artistic media in general, you know, why do you like this thing? You know, um... You know, even even down to like flavor profiles of wines for like wine connoisseurs, right? Like they can they can tell you why they like this wine, right? And I think that so much goes so much more goes into it when you're talking about art uh, rather than like oh the gameplay is great. Um, and Pax has always kind of been at the forefront of that conversation, and. You know, this year was no exception, and and uh, they they really try and hammer it home 
uh, every year really. But but I it, it's 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 refreshing that they haven't let up, and it's even more refreshing that these panels are some of the hardest to get into. Well, this particular one wasn't, but yes, in in general, yeah, a lot of those are really tough to get into. Yeah, uh, I will say again, not to give the whole show away, but I will say one of the things I reflected on is this idea of a convention, right? So convention, coming from the word convene, to gather, right? Mm -hmm. But in modern context, we use the word convene when you mean you want to come together for a specific kind of actionable purpose. Yeah. So, like, you wouldn't say, we're going to convene for the trip to McDonald's. Like, that's kind of weird. You kind of say... (laughs) It depends on how hungry you are. Yeah, true. (laughs) But you would say, we're going to convene to discuss, I don't know, you know, how we're going to address this community issue in the school or something like that. Right, yeah. So, in in terms of PACs, we kind of convene to, A, see what's upcoming in our community, B, discuss the various issues and cool things and various goings-on in the various parts of the community and see just to generally celebrate the community. And it, I really thought about this weekend, the fact that this is coming together, and a lot of... You could go to PAX as a hardcore gamer and never play a video game for the entire weekend. Yeah. I almost did. You know? And uh, that's what made me think about it. And the reason that you can still get so much out of the show, even having not necessarily played a game, is that you're coming there to, at least in some respect, to kind of have a reflection on the importance of the culture to you at large and your place in it. So I think that's why that discussion is so powerful and why we, we're going to have to go into much greater detail than that. But Right, and finding finding your place within that community is is huge too and that's something that PAX offers without it even really like trying to it's just a place really with stuff in it and and you know people can find solace in that just by attending so um yeah that's going to be a whole other conversation we'll do that in the near future definitely um aside from that yeah I was going to say we have to talk real quick about here's another kind of end cap we want to put on Mm mm-hmm uh, we've been talking a lot about EVE Online. Right. And so I was fortunate enough to attend uh, a Mr. Andrew Groen's EVE Online discussion. He wrote uh, a book on the very subject. We can link that also yep. in the show notes later. But he wrote a book on it. And so he gave a lecture uh, basically talking about the largely the lead-in to the massive war that took place throughout the whole game from about 2007 to about 2009. And going over the whole thing, obviously we don't have time for that here, and he'll do a much, much greater justice than my hastily thrown together notes as I'm listening to him uh, could possibly do. But uh, there was a lot of just very interesting things that came out of there. Most notably, some of the players that are involved. So you have a few, and in, in EVE Online you have corporations, right? Yep. Uh, and some of the biggest groups, uh, the biggest of them is Band of Brothers, which apparently has about 50,000 players to its name, and is basically like this fascist-style organization where you have to apply to get in, and once you get in, you have to surrender everything that you own to the, or- the larger organization. So it's a big commitment to even be in it, but they are ruthlessly effective. He showed us a map of all the areas, what's called the null sec areas, the areas that are basically the complete free-for-all. Yeah. Uh, and they own, just looking at the southern half of the map, because that's where we focus most of our time on, they own literally like 50 to 55% of that, just them. And then various factions are competing for the rest. And they are very consciously trying to take over the entire game (laughs) via uh, what's called Operation Clockwise, which is, as the name suggests, an operation to move in a clockwise manner and take over the entire map. So cocky, in fact, 
that they're not only saying we're going to take over the map clockwise, but we're going to basically call out where we're going after next, like calling out the the pocket for the eight ball. Damn. Uh, and they they are generally speaking quite quite effective. Uh, you also have like Red Swarm Federation, which is um, mainly Russian players, but they've been like aligned with the French, and everybody is trying to like Good obviously God. get Band of Brothers, you know, taken down a few pegs. Uh, one of the big things. This is the one big detail as far as the giant war that happened. Uh, the big detail that I thought was super cool is that. You know, there was a lot of conflict and coalitions fighting one another in the game for a while. But the thing that kind of set off the, the, the war, the shot heard around the world, as it were, was uh, a hacker hacked into some Band of Brothers accounts and were poking around forums and things like that. And they discovered that Band of Brothers had an employee for CCP, the company that runs EVE Online, uh, they had an employee for CCP in their ranks, Ooh. spawning items for them in the game. What? Exactly. That's a huge conflict of interest. Huge conflict of interest. So, of course, this became a humongous stink. Oh, my war. God. Wow. I can't even imagine. So, needless to say, I really want to read the rest of this book. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of crazy, crazy stuff that was going on. The leader of Band of Brothers is a guy that goes by Sir Molay, who apparently is actually a heating and air conditioning repairman from Sweden. <laughs> but he's the leader of a 50,000-strong fascist organization in the game. <laughs> this is the best, man. Like, like video games are great. Like, I, I'm, never, I'm never not fascinated. I've been playing video games for... Uh, like consciously for like 23 years and I can't, I'm still impressed. I'm still impressed because of stuff like this. Yeah. This is, this right here is what it's about. The fact that this can exist. Yeah. Like how could I ever, how could I ever like get bored of video games? It's impossible. Impossible. It's impossible. So yeah, that is, that's just my quick and dirty uh, teaser for, Mr. Andrew Groen's book, cop it. <laughs> yeah, do yourself uh, a the favor. Story is super cool, and I'm glad somebody took the time to break it down for the folks who are not actively engaged in this mammoth war zone. Yeah, um, definitely. So, uh, I guess the next thing I wanted to bring up was uh, something that I we had talked about and kind of were, this is one of the few things that we were expecting uh, going in, which was the, the increased tech presence at, at PAX East, right? So we had talked about how, uh, you know, the, a, a greater emphasis on um, hardware modification was going to be there and all this other stuff. And I, I kind of underestimated it. I mean, it was definitely there and it, it was, it, it, it's sort of a, was bigger than it had been in previous years as as anticipated, but uh, I was still surprised by it. So one of the cool things was um, l- just about every you know big name uh, peripheral and hardware manufacturer was there, right? Uh, you had you had Corsair and you had Steel Series, who I definitely don't remember being there last year. You had um, you know you had Astro and you had. Uh, you know, Logitech, obviously, who's who's kind of a staple at this point. Uh, but there were a lot of smaller guys, too. There was, um, you know, there was a smaller, uh, there was a, there was a smaller uh, keyboard and, uh, you know, mechanical keyboard developer that, that took a really small section over at the Indie Booth panel. And, you know, NXZT was, was there, uh, or NZXT, I always forget which one it is. Is it NZXT. It, NZ, yeah, NZXT was there. I definitely don't remember them being there previously. Ooh, and they were ooh, doing a... Supply uh, in my case. Shout out to NZXT. Shout out to NZXT. They were there. And uh, NZXT actually had a cool like scavenger hunt where they were like, uh, find every NZXT computer case that you can find on display at PAX <laughs> and bring, bring them back to us, I guess. And they, they were doing a bunch of giveaways. All these guys were doing giveaways. It was really impressive, right? 
So, uh, oh, and uh, DX Racer was there. The the which is not hardware, but still like yeah, they're they're pushing. They were there last year, but yeah, they were definitely in a strong strong show this year. There was a line to sit in their chairs. Yeah, because they've become the official streamer chair. Yeah, like without really trying, other than the fact that they make this chair that like gamers have kind of copped as their own, and they show up in all these streams because everyone uses them, and now they're just huge, which is amazing. But uh, some of the cool things I wanted to I wanted to bring up as far as like the um, the hardware showcased was uh, they had. Uh, NZXT had a really cool um, build, like how to build your own gaming PC. Uh, I wouldn't call it a booth. It wasn't really a booth. It was kind of like a. It was a just display. kind of like an area. Yeah, it was a display, right? So they had this. Basically. They had this thing, and it was like uh, they had it. They had a, a like seven computer cases, each of like varying degrees of completed. Right. Uh, with like uh, an explanation as to what stage each one was on the completion process. So they had the empty case and then they had the empty case with like, you know, the motherboard and the CPU in it. And they had another case with the motherboard, the CPU and also like the, uh, you know, all the like the PCIe inputs, like the graphics card and all that other stuff. And then they added the power supply unit and all this other stuff. And it was it was cool because they were separate units. So uh I, I definitely hadn't seen that before. They were giving, they were doing a ton of giveaways. Like I said, they had, uh, and they had, um, like really like just a just a spot on the show floor, displays for super high end already built computers with you know water cooling and you know t- not not to the degree of the stuff that you would see at like QuakeCon, but still a bigger presence than than had been at previous. Paxes, I think. Yeah, uh, that that is definitely true for sure. That uh, what we're seeing is that I mean, PC gaming has been on a pretty massive upswing since I want to say 2010. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. much once the indie revolution started to kick off for real. Yeah. Uh, that is when like PC gaming got live. Yeah. I, of course, we remember in the previous decade. How it was nothing but up oh, PC gaming's over. Uh, it's gonna be dead soon. Pack it in, which now look even more moronic than they did when those articles yeah. and things first started popping up. Yeah, and uh, 2010 was also the same year that Steam was released for the first time on Mac. Right. So further my point. Yep. Uh, it's since then it's only been a rocket upward. Uh, we were late to the party for sure. Yep. And PAX, I think, has had a pretty... If you think about it, PAX is actually pretty PC-focused for the most part. Yeah, I think... A show floor. I think they are. I mean, I remember them showcasing, like, Steam machines, you know, a couple years ago. I remember them doing, like, uh, you know... Um, it, and all the, all the peripheral guys were there. Logitech's been there. Corsair's been there, you know. Yeah, I mean, all the console manufacturers are there in full force, no doubt. Yeah, but if you, as we didn't, if you don't have a, you know, a, a game ready PC, and you're looking at potential games on that floor, you you can cut out like easily forty to forty five percent of what's there. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of that stuff, yeah, a lot of indie developers are moving quick to try and get this stuff on console, but that comes with a process and it's kind of difficult. Yeah. So, most of it will launch PC first and then they worry about console stuff after. So, you know, you want to, if you go to PAX, you may very well come out of there saying, damn, I really need to get my PC up. And given that the industry conditions are pretty much ripe for people to have game PCs right now as like a very viable alternative to console, I shouldn't say viable because it's always been viable, but as a very... I suppose realistic for an average person. Yeah. Because before it was really, really hard. But it's gotten so much easier for an average person to deal with. And the smart companies realizing that are kind of trying to drive this nail in. Mm -hmm. So that's why you have things like you're talking about with the NZXT. Why all the various uh, 
hardware manufacturers are out there pushing their product as hard as possible. They're, they're kind of just trying to be like, so, hey, console players, you know we have this PC thing over here, and it, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And uh, so the other the other thing was VR, right? Yes. VR was was there last year and maybe even two years ago, but this year it was uh, huge presence. It, it had a much larger presence, but at the same time, very difficult to get to try out. Uh, yeah. PlayStation VR required you to sign up day of via the PlayStation app, uh, booked for the entire day, all three days immediately. Yeah. Um, there, uh, and all, all other installations of VR scattered across the show floor had, uh, had wait times that were, you know, pretty huge, pretty yeah. significant. So unfortunately I didn't get a chance to check it out. We tried, but it, it just wasn't going to happen, you know, just given the, uh, limited amount of time we had this weekend. Uh, it's going to be, though, stay tuned, of course, because anybody who's dealing with VR knows perfectly well that they are fighting an uphill battle for interest because what what I've heard more and more, like reading people's commentary on the internet is that, from professionals, is that if you are one of the professional class, you've probably already gotten a chance to try VR and you're on board. But your average person has not. And so if you haven't tried it, you're like, all you all you can think of is this is another stupid tech gimmick. Right. And we've been over this. Just like we've, what the people are thinking versus uh, how they're, how they're going to try and change people's minds through marketing. Yeah. So though, for everybody who's like, damn, I didn't get to try it. You know, the time is coming because I'm expecting, as you said, a humongous push to get this into people's hands as quickly as possible. Right. And uh, the increased presence at PAX was 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 not a mistake. You definitely know. an opening salvo. Yep, definitely. So. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what was the uh, what was the other thing that really that you thought was uh, was worth bringing up? Well, as far as pan- <coughs> excuse me. As far as panels, that was kind of it. Yeah. So, because um, I already had to cut out half of them just so we could spend some more time on the show floor. Yeah, I think it was so much. I think one of the biggest things that really that really kind of took us aback was how much there was to play. I I don't remember there being more things that caught my eye in previous years than there was this year. Like, I. I wanted to play everything, and most of the things that I played were really good, and I did fortunately get a chance to play a lot, a lot. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, let's let's jump in. We're at the. Can we before before that? Let's reflect on that for a second. Yeah. The fact that the bar is being raised, right? Yeah. So we've had some kick-ass indie developers for a while now. Oh yeah. But this year was definitely confirmation that the bar is being raised. Ever higher. Yeah. Because as you said, you said it very well, that a lot of the stuff that you pass is legitimately compelling. Like, it, there's so much fewer of these, like, kind of doofy, like, amateurish looking games. Like, we're seeing so many more very professional concepts. Even the most off the wall nonsense yeah. is very well polished. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I, I, I we're, we're pretty much at the halfway point right here for the podcast. I, we got to spend the next half of it talking about all the games we played. There were just so many. Uh, I think we need to jump right in. It's, it really was astonishing. Really we was. we looked at the Indie Mega Booth uh, website and we were like, this looks cool. That looks cool. Once you're there in front of the game watching somebody play it, it's a wrap. Like, the, you, there were so many games that I did not even know were on the horizon. Um, and that's just what we played. We still missed uh, a ton. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. So, I guess uh, I guess I'll I'll start off um, with one of the games I, I wanted to I wanted to bring up, uh, which I guess was um, I guess Tooth and Tail is was probably one because that was the one that I I had mentioned. Uh, I know Tooth and Tail was a big one for you. Yeah, last 
last week, uh, last week I had saw, I had seen Tooth and Tail. I was like, it looks kind of like an RTS, but like smaller scale RTS, and with uh, you know, with like rats, which is cool. Like that's fine. <laughs> Um, turns out like I, I wasn't too far off, but the big selling point I had completely missed, uh, the big selling point for tooth and tail is that the matches are super short and what you do is kind of, um, it's almost like a third person RTS in a way. Like you, you can, you only control directly one unit and you sort of like rally all, uh, you know, building and selling and resource gathering and, uh, you know, just like, um, like army building and mobilizing all, all is, is kind of automated. Like you do it, but it, you set it up and it kind of like does itself. And the whole point is to kind of, um, it's like a it's like a very fast paced chess game rather than a who can micromanage the best and for the longest and win by attrition, um, which is is huge. And the best part is that the games last uh, usually less than ten minutes. The matches are less than ten minutes. So, Tooth and Tail was was really fascinating. The guy described it as um, uh, as uh, Starcraft meets Mario Kart which, uh, sounded crazy when he told me, but after I played it, I was like, Oh, I see what you mean. It's, it's like Starcraft, but, um, you're not, you're not winning based on how quickly you can do, uh, all of these actions and how many actions you can do per minute and how much you can like overwhelm your opponent. It's how smart are the moves that you make? Uh, don't worry about, um, don't worry about the micromanaging aspect. Uh, don't worry about the the matchup aspect. Just do your, um, you know, do your due diligence to like explore and build and conquer, and uh, all of the like nitty gritty stuff will kind of work itself out. and And it ends up being like a a far more enjoyable experience, I think. And uh, and yeah, so tooth and, tooth and tail, definitely check out tooth and tail. Tooth and Tail, though I didn't get to play it, I was watching it for a bit, and it's super fascinating to me in that it's, it's, it looks to do what has not yet been attempted, which is kind of surprising, which is to kind of take what is one of the most notoriously uh, convoluted genres in gaming and try to, as you said, distill it down to its essence in a, a, a much more digestible format for the uninitiated. Yeah. Like me. <laughs> Had I not been getting sick by the time I got to see Tooth and Tail, I probably would have success, uh, sat with more time with it. But I'm very curious also to see how it shakes out for that reason. And if they nail this, they may very well have a huge uh, influential hit on their hands. Because yeah. R- the RTS genre, though its influence has waned in the wake of League and other MOBAs, yep. uh, they're still a very popular genre. Yeah, and and like the um, you know the the elation it provides, I think, is kind of unrivaled. Uh, the this like constant f- uh, feeling of like you trying to best another person that you can't see, right? Uh, that that kind of thing. Um, is only is only very mildly uh, touched on by MOBAs, and only because the MOBA genre is a direct result of you know modifications done in RTS games. Right. Um, but but yeah, so Tooth and Tail, that's the one. Uh, what was what was your uh, show floor game you wanted to bring up the first uh, one? Well, let's see. I actually want to give a shout out to one. Okay. Uh, again, I didn't. This is one I didn't get to put my hands on because for a time, but. I was watching for a bit uh, the Metronomicon. Hmm, I must have missed that one. The Metro, it was kind of off on the side. Again, okay. there was just so much there. Oh, it's it's jam packed. It's dense. Pax is incredibly dense. It was it was it's completely outrageous. So, yeah, the Metronomicon is this kind of game is kind of off on the side a little bit, and basically it's it's kind of hard to even explain because it's such a batch of crazy concept. Yeah. But basically, uh, you're in control of an RPG party. Uh, who is fighting a boss. You're all dancing. 
and each member of your party, it's a music game. So each each member of your party kind of has, you know, the typical scrolling bar where you're supposed to hit, hit the buttons at the right time. Yeah. But as you do that, you will, depending on the member you're controlling, initiate certain effects. So the warrior, you do that, you're getting the physical attack ready to unload on the boss. The healer, you do it correctly, you charge up the heal spell for the party, etc., etc. Okay. And of course, your objective is to take apart the boss that's, you know, having a dance off with you. So it's like a team-based rhythm game, but like with RPG aesthetic? Like, yes. Like classic high fantasy aesthetic? That's cool, man. Well, not even classic high fantasy because actually I'm looking right here at the little flyer they gave out. Legendary warriors, powerful wizards, neon pink hot pants. <laughs> okay, so it's like uh, it's like uh, post-disco nightclub meets uh, RPG rhythm game. That is much closer. Okay. All right. <laughs> that is much closer to what's being shown. That's great, because those are just words that I made up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome, man. Um, yeah, keep your ass for that one. Yeah, so uh, uh, what was what was it called again? I'm going to write that down so I can, I can add it in the show notes later. The Metronomicon. Metronomicon. Okay. Uh, next one I wanted to bring up is... Um, was a Necropolis. Uh, yes, I, saw Necropolis. I, I did not n- know Necropolis was going to be there. So Necropolis, uh, I had my eye on for a while. Necropolis was supposed to be released on March seventeenth. It got pushed back to the summer, and I saw it like right after the MMO panel, and I was like, "Oh my god, Necropolis!" I thought this game was like just gonna be buried for a while until it like had a quiet release, but it. Um, it was huge at, at PAX. There was a, there were, it, it, it had a decently sized, uh, panel or, um, show, show, showcase for a, uh, an indie game. And there was a line for it all weekend. It, it's essentially, um, it's like a low poly art style Dark Souls, uh, but it has like drop in co-op kind of like Diablo. Right. But the thing is, is that it, um, it, it's, it's a, it's a dungeon crawler, right? The whole point is for you to like get to the end of the dungeon, get the loot from the dungeon, kind of like, kind of like Diablo, right? But with a much, with like a third person, uh, Dark Souls kind of like fighting style in that, you know, very deliberate attacks, um, you know, uh, a little bit of foresight is required. Um, but the coolest part about it is that the, the dungeon is, uh, procedurally generated and regenerates itself if you die. So there's no, Ooh, there's I didn't no, know that part. yeah, there's no way to memorize uh, the the dungeon. You you just have to uh, have your, you just have to have your wits about you, pretty much. In other so, words, get good. Yeah, get good. Like even in Dark Souls, which is notoriously difficult, you can memorize Dark Souls. You can right. you can know. A Dark Souls game, like the back of your hand, and you once you get to New Game Plus Two or all that other stuff, you're you're kind of like you're kind of like blowing through it. Right. This is not going to be the case in Necropolis. So Necropolis was was a lot of fun. I'll definitely link that in the show notes. What did you have next? Uh, yeah, Necropolis is great. I wanted to talk about Last Fight. Yes. Yes, Last Fight, which I did get a chance to play with you. Yes, Last Fight, we both played, and Last Fight. Uh, simply put, is the spiritual successor to Power Stone. Yeah. And, which is a bold thing to say, but it very much lives up to that creed. I think, yeah, I think it was something that, like, as soon as people hear that sentence, they're, like, really excited. Yeah, your ears perk up. Yeah, and for good reason, though, because when you play it, it it, it feels just right. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did a great job of nailing all the core mechanics of, you know, of 3D Brawl. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. So I run around, punch people, throw items at folks, etc., etc. The only thing I didn't see, uh, which I don't know if they're going to have in the final game, is kind of, you know, stage nonsense kind of bringing its its way to bear on the match. Uh, yeah, because Power Stone, the, the level was, like, moving as you were fighting. Right. So, but other than that, yeah, it, it's a... You know, spiritual successor to Power Stone with its own kind of loony story, uh, and you know, very tight mechanics, very yeah. 2016. Obviously. Yeah, and pretty hilarious characters. 
Yes, and pretty hilarious characters like Professor Acid. Yeah, Professor Acid, my boy. <laughs> I already have a main in that game. Yeah, once <laughs> he's already got a main. Yeah, definitely. So uh, that's awesome. Uh, other one I wanted to bring up. This okay, so this game is going to be really difficult for me to describe. And when I was playing it, I don't really know if I liked it. But then as soon as I was done playing it, I wanted to go back and play it some more, which I think says a which lot is a good sign. about it. Um, it was called Air, spelt. A E R, um, Air was, uh, for lack of a better term, just an exploration game. So we have our, uh, we have our our website up now. It's a uh, it's frogsnacks.net, and Ooh. we're we're putting some uh, some written pieces on there, and it's it's live. You can go up and, and check our our first few pieces. But uh, Air single handedly, Air was a very short. Um, was a very short demo. It, it, they they timed it at like seven and a half minutes, so you uh, you really didn't get a lot uh, out of it. But during that seven and a half minutes, it's like single handedly um, inspired my my second piece for the for the website, and that's going to be up tonight or tomorrow. Um, just about exploration games. the The game seemed like um, like all the best parts about exploration. Uh, from any game that offers that as, like, a side part of the game, uh, but, like, condensed as, like, the sole purpose of the game. Uh, like, you you are just on this, like, fl- this, like, series of floating islands, and you fly around and land on them and talk to people, and they kind of just, like, drop hints at where you're supposed to go next. And I was... Uh, the game world was, one, beautiful, um, and, and two, I was like strangely compelled to keep going. I, uh, somebody, you'll land on like a campsite and it'll just be two people there and they'll be like, oh, hey, yeah, I heard there's like some stuff going on up north on this one island. There's like a shrine there. Yeah. And they won't explicitly tell you to go there, but you just know like that's where I'm supposed to go next. And then you, you fly there and like the terrain changes and I was like, and then time ran out and I, I left and I was like, did I like that game? And I was like, yeah, I I fucking loved that game. I want to go back and play it some more. Like, it was, uh, I think it nailed what makes exploration in games, uh, so compelling, uh, from like a, you know, like a deep seated DNA standpoint of like humankind. And I, I thought that like, I couldn't really think of any game that really did that so specifically and on purpose before. Um, so air, a small Swedish developer called forgotten key, uh, I'm gonna link you the the page on there. Um, a lot of these games also are up for um, uh, are up on Steam, whether they're available or not. So you can like put them on your wish list, and it'll let you know when uh, when it's up. But a lot of these games are coming out for PC and or Xbox and uh, PlayStation. Yeah, there's actually I was gonna note there's actually a good number this year of games that were already out either early access or fully. Right, uh, but they so you know they just came by and said, "Hey, let's get some attention here." Yeah, Air's not out yet. I don't even think it has a release date, but it's it's on. It's already on my wish list. I can't wait for Air for some reason. Like it, it's it's the most difficult game for me to describe why I like that I played this weekend. But goddamn, if I didn't love it. That's that's that says something right there. Yeah, Air was Air was cool, man. I I just it was just it was just cool. Like it was just cool and it looked good. Like there's. That's all. That's all I got to see, and it was like enough. Like I'm, I want to play it. It just nailed a feeling. Yeah, it really did, and that's kind of what I'm trying to capture in my, uh, in uh, in the piece I'm going to be writing. So check the website. Um, we're gonna have we're gonna have our like uh, sophomore attempts up uh, at writing uh, this week. So yeah, check it out. Um, so the last and the biggest game that sticks out in my head. Uh, for that I played at PAX was a game called Streamline. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I told you about. Now, Streamline is super cool to me because it is one of, for the the folks that uh, may not have heard, Twitch announced some time ago that they were kind of spearheading this initiative to do games kind of inspired by the whole Twitch Plays Pokemon phenomenon. Right i.e. games where viewer participation is actually part of the game. 
uh, which is an extremely interesting concept. And, I mean, they had some little, you know, I don't want to say crappy, but they had some not particularly inspiring demos to show when they announced it. This game, though, I really feel like has some potential. So Streamline, essentially, is a parkour game, which you you already have me by the balls once you say parkour. <laughs> but yeah. it's a parkour game. A uh, broadcaster can play versus another broadcaster, and their role would basically be as a runner. Uh, and they're basically trying to... I forget all the details of the objective, but everybody's running around the level collecting basically Pac-Man-style energy pellets. Uh... And the adversary of your runner are the various hunters, which can be played by whoever, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the hunters can, you know, punch and take out the, uh, the runner, but the runner has a weapon. In the instance I saw, <laughs> she was running around with a big stop sign <laughs> that can be used to pummel and get rid of all the hunters that are trying to get rid of her. Uh, what makes this interesting is that the viewers can participate by being able to vote on buffs and debuffs that can apply to everybody across each round. And these get pretty zany. So my favorite was Slow Thuggin, which <laughs> right, instantly right. slows down the entire game to a crawl. Uh, and there's another one called Nerfed, which just turns everybody's uh, weapons into Nerf weapons. Yep. Like, all sorts of little fun things like that that will, you know, change up the gameplay immediately. There's another one that will shrink everybody on the map. Mm -hmm. uh, if you die when you're a hunter, you can still come back as a ghost and, you know, and just run around and punch people. It right. doesn't do anything. You can't collect <laughs> points, but you can still run around and punch people. Nice. <laughs> so, cool. it's going to be a, I think, a really cool just kind of have fun with people, you know, help build a community type of game. You know, a, a really just kind of, let's just all laugh and have a good time. The kind of game I love. And like I said, anything with parkour, instantly I'm on board. Right. Anything where I can wall run, I'm on board. Yeah. Uh, another side note is that, and I was talking to developers about this, is that I love that they had a level. The level that they showed off at PAX was set during a game convention. Right. Right. There's all sorts of little cute in jokes there. Uh, they called out the fact that uh, you could see on, on one of the panels there was a uh, they were making fun of the game I Am Bread, so they had I Am Bagel. <laughs> yeah, you know, man. So things like that. It was it was great. It was a good time. That's good. Meta humor is good. All right, I so I have a three three more. I want to bring up. Uh, I'll I'll try and do them really quick because uh, we're running short on time. Um, one of the things I was pretty surprised about on the show floor, especially in the indie uh, mega booth, was that um, Adult Swim Games uh, has kind of moved away from just making games based off of the shows that they show on their network and started to become like a, an actual like full-fledged respectable indie publisher, uh, which I didn't know really. I guess I hadn't been paying attention, but they were showcasing... They've been, they've been on that grind for a little bit, but yeah, now it's like serious. Yeah, the, one of the games that they had, and I was like, I was like, I don't remember this being a show. Uh, it, it's not. The Adult Swim Games is, is actually just a, a publisher now, It's and it's also a late-night uh, block of cartoons. It's right. weird, right? So shouts to Adult Swim, but um, making me laugh since I was in the seventh grade, right. which is incredible, but... Uh, one of the games that they had was uh, a little indie game called Rain World, which um, I, I I guess it's like a survival horror game, but it's basically this uh, this like you, you play as this thing called a slug cat, which is kind of like a, a slug cat, I guess. <laughs> like I I they made up the animal just for the game, but the, I guess that's the the best thing I can use to describe it. It has two arms and it carries a spear and its head is kind of like a cat's head, but it's like body is long and like a slug, but it's furry like a cat. Anyway, the whole point is that you, um, you live in this world where it rains all the time and the rain is toxic and you can only go out and hunt when it's not raining. So 
uh, you basically are given like a, a quota of food that you're supposed to get, and it starts. Uh, you you're supposed to get it before it starts to rain. You have to like go out get the amount of food, go back to your home before it starts to rain, and the food is like hard to get. It's it you kind of like captures what. Uh, like hunting at for animals as another animal must be like. Uh, right. It was uh, it was pretty interesting, and I I kind of liked the aesthetic. Um, it had like the, uh, you know, it, it had this um, just like kind of bleak aesthetic to it, which I liked. Um, so that was cool. Rain World. Uh, I'll link that. Uh, other one I wanted to bring up was Cuphead which has actually been like a known commodity for a little while now. Um, it's part of the, uh, it's part of the indie developers at Xbox movement that uh, Microsoft is doing. I don't know if it's also coming out for PC. I'm going to say most likely, I'm pretty sure it is, but it's definitely coming out for Xbox. It was actually, it was actually not part of the indie mega booth. They were actually showcasing it at the Xbox booth. So it, they're, they're trying to advertise it as, uh, and, and like a, like an old school, um, like Xbox Live Arcade type game. What right. I'm going to say about Cuphead is that it m- might be, uh, aside from the aesthetic, which is something like I've never really seen before, which is like 1920s era cartoons, um, it might be the most fun local co-op game since Castle, Cra- since Castle Crashers. That is a bold statement, sir. I'm, I, I see this potential in Cuphead. It's kind of like the same type of. No, I can't. I can't even say that. It, I I can kind of say that. It's kind of like the same type of game, but uh, it seems like it's only two players, and but you you kind of like get the same feeling out of it. I got paired up with they they only they only showcased it to to two to like pairs of two right. Right. So they brought in two people at a time to whenever the booth came available. And, and boom, it was, uh, it, it was like a co-op game. And I, I felt myself having the same conversation with the person that I was standing next to as like the same kind of conversation that we had in our dorm rooms playing Castle Crashers five, six years ago. It was, uh, the most compare it's the, it's the, it's the easiest comparison I can make right now. And the game is a lot of fun. I realize that it's a bold statement, but check out Cuphead. And try and play it locally if you can, because that was uh, that was an experience that I was not expecting to have at PAX this year. But, now, real yeah, quick, yeah. I mean, I said it's a bold statement, but I don't mean that to be like you're full of shit. Right. I mean that simply to say, be careful because I'm already. Cuphead has been on my radar ever since the moment it was announced, because the idea that they were able to bring the 1920s style of animation to bear on a 2016 or 17, who knows if this thing's going to come out, video game, I thought is easily the most fascinating thing I've heard in quite a while. Yeah. It, and uh, it is just another testament to the, the the crazy artistic breadth, depth, and, uh, and opportunity that gaming offers. Yeah, it was... Uh... It, it, it was very cool. It was it was just very cool. Um, so I guess the last one I wanted to bring up um, was, uh, you know, last but certainly not least, this was the, definitely the one I wanted to end with, was uh, my boys <laughs> at Supergiant Games yep. of Bastion and Transistor fame yep. announced just days before PAX East uh, their third game. Uh, it's called Pyre. And uh, to give you to give you an idea of how uh, monumental a third Supergiant game is, I'm going to tell you an anecdote. Um, they had their usual spot, which is like dead center in the in the indie mega booth, right? Um I uh, saw that it was there and tried to devise a game plan as to how I was going to get up uh, to play this game. So I got to pack super early on Sunday, lined up for the show floor super early, um, was part of the first group of people let onto the show floor on Sunday, 
made a beeline for the uh, for the for the uh, for the booth, and the line was already capped. Now they weren't le- like they there was no more room for people to line up to this game, and I could not figure out how because I was one of the first people on the show floor. How was there already a two and a half hour wait for this game? So. As as luck would have it, I snuck in right before, um, you know, right right before they they were planning on packing up, and uh, they they managed to sneak me in to uh, uh, to a spot. They they kind of capped the line for the day prematurely, but I, I sort of like hovered around, and um, and I, I I was very fortunate to have have played this game. I got a chance to talk to the people who were at the booth who was actually the development team and I got to tell them how much I loved them, which was nice. Uh, who was lined up to play this game? I was, I was on the show floor first. I had to ask them, who were these people? And they told me that it was other exhibitors. And I said, I said to myself, you have a game that other people who make games are willing to like sacrifice their precious exhibition time to play. You have built up quite a name for yourself, Supergiant. I that, that is indeed very impressive. I couldn't believe it. Like there was two and a half hours worth of other game developers yeah. who were trying to play this game before anybody else could for three days. Yeah. Um I was incredibly fortunate to play uh Pyre. Um in terms of like batshit insanity and game design, uh, they're they're like consistently and yet successfully going going off the rails. Pyre is a uh, classic like text based RPG, um, but the battle system is like nothing I've ever seen before. The battle system is like uh, modeled after what in the game is considered an ancient rite, but it it is essentially rugby. Um, so your your whole point is to like. Uh, use this ball to extinguish the flame of the other team, basically. Um, they do have uh, video footage of this up, even though the game was announced literally eight days ago. Uh, probably won't expect it until 2017, but um, Supergiant's one of my favorite one of my favorite developers out there right now. They have been for a while. Uh, I, I was so excited to get a chance to play their game. Pyre was, again, like nothing I've ever seen before, but the aesthetic and the music... Uh, unmistakable. It's all the same guys that have worked on the previous two games. Um, Supergiant, I, I think, is like the benchmark, the standard bearer for like the successful independent developer. And I think that that is the, uh, you know, sort of like the the benchmark that every that every indie, independent developer needs to set themselves to. You know how you know just just excellence and innovation in game design and in music and just like nobody does anything the way that they do it and uh, every single time every and every single time you know granted this is only two times but the third time is shaping up to be uh another and uh so so i'm i'm gonna link i'm gonna link pyre um, I might link it more than once just out of excitement. But <laughs> Pyre, and then just in case you need to understand, Pyre again. Yeah, Pyre wasn't Pyre wasn't my uh, my favorite game that I played, uh, but I I loved it and I am excited. And again, everything about it is unmistakably super giant. And I uh, hopefully they can get a demo out or something. Uh, so I don't have to literally wait until next year to play it again because I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a chance to go to a place where they're just uh, like going to be showcasing it live. But uh, that was the best. That was the, the, the best way to end my PAX experience uh, was by getting in last minute on Sunday on the uh, on the Pyre demo. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anything else you wanted to bring up before we uh, wrap this thing up? Um, I will briefly give a shout-out to the folks at MAGFest who come to PAX every year and put on the jam space. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Music's always a big part of PAX. Uh, Steve Aoki was actually at PAX this year. Wait, he was there? Because I heard his name being thrown around, but I didn't know he was there. He was was playing uh, Exhibition Street Fighter matches. 
Oh, yes, that's right. I didn't hear that. Yeah. Oh, I also have to give a shout out to uh, uh, the Pats Arena. Yes. A the new a new installment. Increased esports presence at this year's show. Yeah, it was it was a new installment. Uh, they didn't have Pax East Arena, but they they kind of uh, squeezed it in between tabletop and uh, the indie mega booth, and it was just kind of like, here are some esports games that you need to be excited about. We're kind of going to be running them on loop all weekend, and then squeezing in some like tournament stuff, uh, which was like really smart, I think, and worked out really well. Yeah, they they were not playing around, so. It, that was another thing you can. Pax is great for being able to see uh, where things are going. Yeah. Because again, that you talk about convening, right? Yeah. So you convene, you see, you can see if you're paying attention where the trend lines lie, and one of the trend lines, very obviously, as we've been talking about for literally the entire life of this podcast, is the increasing craziness and importance of esports, and it was there on full display this weekend. But real quick, have to give a shout-out to the Jam Space, which I thought was a... As you said, music's a huge part of PAX, where they have the concerts in the main ballroom every night. But also, all day long, for all three days, they had the Jam Space, where they were alternating between you being able to literally just walk in, sign up, and get slapped on stage uh, with a group of other people to play all these very professional instruments... In a very professionally set up uh, space, you know, for however long. Uh, and they were all saying that between like very smaller gaming themed music acts that they had coming through throughout the day. I know Mega Ran showed up there. Uh, I, had, I actually had the pleasure of listening to Shout Out to Lame Genie, which was a band I got to see a little bit of as I was making my way through. Uh, and Super Soul Bros, part of Super Soul Bros was there. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, they they actually had like a perpetual uh, presence. Uh, they kind of like set up in a corner on the show floor and was just like playing stuff on keyboard and had like a – it was kind of like a New York City subway like uh, like street performer type thing where they had like the guitar case open and people were like throwing money in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Shout out to them. Uh, yeah, that was just part of them, and they linked up with some other musicians on Friday night, and they had a absolutely monstrous set that was so enjoyable. I planned to play some Smash Brothers that night, but I was enjoying myself so much I plunkered down there for the, like, the entire evening. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I uh, I'll I'll link Lame Genie and Super Soul, Soul Bros too, so you can uh, you can check them out on their respective websites. Yeah. So all in all, again, another excellent packs. Uh, if, as we always say, if you haven't been to either East Prime or South, you now have three. So, and they are all very difficult to get tickets to, I understand. But, yeah, if you are the kind of person who would play most of the games we discussed today, you owe it to yourself to try to go to PAX at least once. Yeah, uh, amazing experience, as always. Um, it, it, exhausting, but well, well, well worth it. Absolutely. And uh, with that being said, I uh, will call it a wrap for uh, this week, and we'll see you guys next week. Oh, and check out the website, frogsnacks.net. Peace. Peace